Yeah, exactly. All right, well, let's, um, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we'll dive into our, our text for this morning. Lord God, we're so thankful uh, for an opportunity to gather as men like this again, and just to, to talk about issues specifically from the Scriptures that, that equip us to be more faithful in the, the various roles that you give to us. Uh, we ask, God, that you would help us to lead well in the different areas of life that have been delegated to us. Help us to lead with the character of Christ so that the, the gospel is, is clear in and through us to our families, to our wives, to uh, those that we work with, to those we interact with in church. God, help us to be men who are thoroughly not only convinced of the truth, but whose lives are marked by it. And we pray that our time this morning would be used by your Spirit towards that end in each of our lives. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so we're continuing our series on leadership and being what does it mean to be a godly leader. And we're moving now into <clears throat> leading with love. What does it mean to lead with love and how should the virtue or characteristic of love affect our leadership. And we're going to spend several lessons on this topic and just look at all kinds of different angles in the Scripture uh, on the virtue of love and how it should affect us. And I want to recommend a book to you if you're a reader or even if you're not and would like to become one. Um, there's a book by Alexander Strzok. It's called Leading with Love. And it's it's written uh, primarily to, to pastors, at least that's how it's marketed, but really it's as I've read through it, it's just a great book on leadership. And the, it, he walks through, in the first half of that book, he just walks through an exposition of 1 Corinthians 13 on love and applies that. We're going to do the same thing in weeks ahead. And that would just be a great book to be reading <clears throat> as we um, get into that topic. So, Leading with Love by Alexander Strzok. You know, in John 13, verses 34 and 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Love is, is a characteristic that is really to define each of us as believers, uh, which means, of course, that it should affect our leadership as well. And so while there are many aspects of loving leadership that need to be discussed, as I thought about where to start, I think it makes the most sense that we start with the primary relationship that most of us have, and maybe all of us have in this room, which is with our wives. Uh, that, that's the, the most obvious connection point, is leading our wives with love. Uh, this is also, I realize, probably the, the topic that you're the most familiar with. Um, but I, I pray that as we go through the scriptures, what, what I really want to do is not just give you an exposition, because I've, I've done that. If you're with us in Colossians, I talked maybe three or four months ago, about love and how that's to affect our relationship. So we're going to walk back through that material, but instead of me just talking at you, what I want to do is I've picked several spots to just stop and camp and discuss. And so I want you to be thinking about, okay, how should this affect my life practically? And I want to help us cross the bridge of this is what I know to be true, and this is what I need to do about it. So we're going to do a more, more discussion this morning than we have perhaps on other lessons. But that's really my heart and desire for this time, is that we not only hear the truth and know the truth, but discuss it and digest the truth. So we're going to look at 
the two primary passages that deal with uh, loving our wives, one in Colossians and one in Ephesians, and just work our way through that and discuss different aspects along the way. In Colossians, we'll begin there in Colossians 3.19. It's just one simple verse that says, Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. And so what we see is that Christians are to intentionally cultivate genuine love for their wives. It's a pretty basic concept. And he gives two commands here, but we're just going to deal with the first command. Husbands, love your wives. I think we all understand that love is to be the hallmark of the Christian husband. And I think our temptation is often to think, especially for our wives maybe, to think that we, we get the better end of the deal when it comes to roles in marriage. All we're told to do is love our wives. They're told to submit to us. We're told to love them. And we say, well, that's, that's really easy. Uh, because the, the culture at large, most people, probably every person, depending on with their own definition, would say that love is a virtue, that it's something that people should aspire to. But, of course, it's important that we define love the correct way. Before we do that, though, let's just talk about, in a, in a worldly sense, just if you ask somebody on the street, hey, what is love? What are some of the things that kind of come at us day in and day out on our TV screen, on, in the news, everywhere, that this is love? What is, what is love from just a man's perspective? Affection. Mm-hmm. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. Okay. Strong feeling. A strong feeling. Giving material gifts to show your love. Or mm-hmm. Yeah. Maybe just giving gifts. Yeah. Servitude. Service. Uh, just serving your wife. Mm-hmm. Really Caring. Caring. Yep. <clears throat> uh, providing. People think that it's just like, I just need to provide for my and that's it. Mm-hmm. Put food on the table, yeah, those kind of things. What else? Participation of needs. Mm-hmm. Meeting someone's needs. Mm-hmm. What about politically? What are some of the things thrown around that are, that are loving? Acceptance. Tolerance. Acceptance and tolerance, yeah. I remember when... Uh, when Hillary Clinton lost the election, something that stuck, stuck out to me is in her speech afterwards, she said, love lost today. And what she meant was the, their views on LBGTQ issues and all those things that, you know, hate won and love lost. And that was interesting to me because it was a clear moment of redefining terms uh, that love is just acceptance of people. And these are all you know, worldly views of love. Of course, Hollywood, um, if you just watch a movie, without, they may not say this is the definition of love, but what they present is just this ooey-gooey feeling of you make me feel really good, I find you attractive, uh, you know, and so I, I, I want to be with you. <clears throat> but then we come to the Scriptures, and we have to wash all of that away, um, and we have to just look at what is love. And so we're going to do that in a couple of different ways. One, I just want to look at the grammar of the command itself. In Colossians 3.19, when he says, Husbands, love your wives. Let's talk about that verb for a minute. Because this is a present, active imperative. And I want to talk about each of those words. Present, active, imperative. And I want us to apply uh, this, this word just by looking at the grammar. So first of all, let's talk about the fact that this is in the present tense. We've talked about that some 
or several times in different messages that in, in the Greek language, present tense carries with it this idea of a continual action, that this is to be ongoing. It's not a one-time action, but rather an ongoing action. So let's just talk about that for a moment. What are the implications of the fact that love of our wives is to be a continual action? I stole this from the guy that did my premarital counseling. He said, there are, there are no more well-thens, meaning they stepped on my toes so I can say, well, then I'm going to step on your toes. Mm-hmm. There are no more of those, so it's, it's always, regardless of the pros or cons of my scenario. Yeah. You don't won't return to sin with Yeah. There's obviously going to be times that come along that make you defend, or you don't feel like you want to do that. Okay? Right, yeah. Till death do us part. You're going to go through seasons of life as you age that you're going to be different, and it's... Yeah. You keep no records of wrongs. Mm-hmm. I think that's a... All, the, all these are good. They're coming together. I think I want to hit on what Wendell said just for a moment because I think if, if you take a worldly definition of love, that love is a feeling and you give me that feeling and so I love you, and then you hit these different seasons of life where life is different, or maybe some, obviously our, our bodies change, or sometimes even maybe our, our views on the situation may change as we grow and mature. What happens if our, if our definition of love is you make me feel a certain way and then you change, what's the logical conclusion? World, the worldly conclusion. Fall out cash, of love. cash it in and move yeah. on. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not in love with you anymore. I fell out of love, right? We fell in and now we've fallen out. And so this present tense reality of a continual nature of our love uh, does require and demand that we're going to love our wives through every season of life, um, till death do us part, as well as we're not going to keep records of wrongs, and we don't ever have a justification to say, well, you did this, and therefore, I'm going to withhold love from you. Not only that, it's active. Remember, we have different voices. We have the passive voice, or something happens to us. Um, in, in Greek, you even have this something called the middle voice. But here we have the active voice, which means I, I am the one that the subject of the verb is doing the action. So we are to actively love our wives. Let's talk about that for a minute. Not only is it to be continual, but it's to be active, <clears throat> where we're putting forth the effort to accomplish that. What is that? How does that affect our love the way we think about our love for our wives. It implies work. Hmm. Yeah. It's not going to be just naturally flowing all the time. Yeah. yeah the proactive aspect is where I most thought, you know, I'm, I'm a passive, like, well, I'm just going to love you and be your husband, but there's a proactive, active, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The good book in our bookstore that use the word demonstrability. So it needs to be demonstrable, not just words. Hmm. You know, because we say we're going to do stuff a lot of times and we get caught. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Similar to God's uh, choosing of us that it's initiated by Him. Yeah. Exactly. There's a, it's, it's continual, so it's always going, and then it's active, so there is, there's work involved, intentionality, <clears throat> this is another, another word we could use with in loving our wives. There's one other word as we think about the grammar here. It's a present active imperative. 
imperative, of course, is a command. So the fact that the love of our wives is commanded of us by God, how does that affect the way we think about the love of our wives? That it's important on his on the scale of the way God views it is very important. Even Ephesians five twenty five. To love to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's pretty huge. You're getting ahead here, Paul. We're going to get there in a minute. (laughs) (laughs) No, just exactly. Um, It's an imperative. What else? What else does that bring to mind? It's a command of God. That you you can't love unless God is in you. Okay, so it requires the work of God in our lives. So this command will not make sense to to Paul. Mm hmm. Yeah, there's obviously the implication that we're held accountable then. If it's command of God, now now we're held accountable for when we fail to show love to our wives. It makes me think of a, a rule being applied. Like he's a rule giver. He's the author of the command. So it, we, don't, we can't switch the definition of what it is to love. Mm-hmm. It's got to be his version of yeah. what it is to love. It's a good point. So if he's the one that commands it, then we need to make sure we are defining it the way that he is defining it. Absolutely. I think it... It also just reminds us that it's, it, it kind of seals the, the deal that, that love must be more than just an emotion, a feeling a certain way. I think it's important to say that obviously when we, even true love of our wives at, at, at times, and many times, comes with emotions and feelings. That's not, that's not wrong. But the love is not the emotion. The emotion is a response that comes sometimes, not always, with true, genuine love. So with that, let's just look at the definition of the word. And when I say the definition, I mean of the Greek word itself. Here here is the definition of the Greek word for love that's used here. It means to have a warm regard for and interest in another. To cherish, have affection, or to love. Have a warm regard for and interest in another. To cherish, to have affection, or to love would be ways to, to apply that. So let's think about that for a minute. If, if the word itself means to have a warm regard for a person, to take interest in them, to cherish them, to have affection for them, um, what, are those, what are the implications of that for our wives and what, what love looks like if we're to continuously choose as a command of God to have a warm regard for an interest in our wives? What are your thoughts on how that makes us think about our role as husbands. <clears throat> it just made me think that the selfishness of romance just went out the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Just see, I'm kind of stuck on uh, the different Greek words for love. This wouldn't be a agape love. It is, yeah. It is agape love. So. In this case, it is. And with that, you have to... So there are several words in Greek for love, and there are times where they're used very specifically to talk about different kinds of love, whether it's brotherly love or a sexual type of love or sacrificial love. But we also have to be careful because they can be used interchangeably at different times. And so they're not, they're not a hard and fast. Don't think of them as hard and fast concrete. When I see eros or, or whatever, it's always this. Or when I see phileo, it's always this. It really comes back to the context. 
And so we'll, we'll talk about the context here because agape is it's also the, the word that he'll use in Ephesians. And we'll go to Ephesians here in a minute. But as far as just the defining of the term itself, it's to have a warm regard for an interest in another. But what's interesting is when we think of that, because you can hear that word warm regard or interest in and, and kind of think, well, isn't that kind of the emotional side of love? That, but really when you think of it as a command, it changes things. Because now we're, we're talking about you're commanded by God to actively, daily, choose to have a warm regard and interest in your wife. That's different than, wow, you're so pretty and wonderful, it's making me want to have a warm regard and interest in you. It's saying, no, 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 I'm committed to think of you in this way every day, all day, even when your actions or, or whatever, as we age and our appearance changes, um, if, if those things are not in and of themselves always drawing me to have a warm regard for you, it doesn't matter. I think the end of the verse is is showing a temptation that you can become bitter if you're not actively choosing to love in, in that way in the definition. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's the it's the opposite. It's the it opposite. does help bring some clarification. Yeah. Because do not become embittered against yeah. them. You to, have a choice. Right. You can choose to take it personally or you can look at it if it's your wife telling you she means well for me. Maybe I need to think about this. Yeah. Or what if she doesn't mean well for you? <laughs> you know, I, I mean, sure. Uh, yeah, so I, I think I think it's it's really helpful because I think there are times where our wives maybe say something and it hits us the wrong way, and they legitimately love us and they're trying to help us. And then there are some times where they just sin against us because they're sinners like we are. Mm-hmm. And I think this helps us on both sides. Have intentional, active, daily, continual, warm regard and take interest in her, cherish her, have affection for her. That's what it's, that's what it's saying. So it, when we start to think of it that way, it really puts it in, into to motion for us. Um, and, and this is what I think, here's a key concept we have to keep in mind. The roles that God gives us in marriage for husbands and wives, they are not dependent on one another. They're independent. What I mean by that is, I as a husband, you as a husband, are called to love our wives in this way, regardless of how well they are doing at submitting, loving, and respecting us. She's called to submit to love and respect, regardless of how well I, in a given moment, am showing unconditional love to her. I think it's so helpful for us to separate those things because even without being taught this, just kind of innately, we walk into marriage with this give and take mentality. Yeah, I'm going to love you unconditionally and actively, and you're going to submit to me and show respect to me. You know, And then all of a sudden when on a given day or a given moment that doesn't happen, I feel this justification. Well, then I don't, I don't, I'm not required in this moment then to show you this kind of love. That's an unbiblical idea. This idea of it being a command, it's in the present tense, it's active, means that God holds me accountable for how I love my wife independently of how she's doing in her role. Think about that. Are there areas in your marriage where you've kind of fallen into this give and take I'll scratch your back, you scratch mine. And when your back's not getting scratched the way that you like or whatever, that mean you think, well, you know, then I don't, 
need to feel obligated to, to do this. That's an unbiblical view of marriage. For me, as a young man in marriage, within our first year of marriage, <clears throat> by God's grace, I read The Exemplary Husband. If you haven't read that book, it's a great book by Stuart Scott. And um, it, it clued me into this idea that I had missed. In fact, I had been given a book in premarital uh, life as we were getting ready in, during engagement called His Needs, Her Needs. Uh, terrible book. Don't buy that book. <clears throat> um, and it actually promoted this idea that we all have these needs and in marriage we're to, that's, it's really a, a psychology approach. You know, we have these felt needs and, and my job as a husband is to find out what hers are and meet those and vice versa. And kind of when my love tank is full, then I can love her. And the, but it's a very selfish, self-centered view of marriage. It's not the biblical view. And so, but that's how I was coming at it, trying to be a biblical husband, thinking this is how it's done. And I'm like, man, I am, something's not right. <laughs> and then reading that book, it's like, oh, God holds me accountable to be this kind of husband independently of my wife. If you haven't gotten that concept... You have to. Here's a quote by MacArthur that hits on that idea. He says, A husband is not commanded to love his wife because of what she is or is not. He's commanded to love her because it is God's will for him to love her. It's certainly intended for a husband to admire and be attracted by his wife's beauty, winsomeness, kindness, gentleness, or any other positive quality or virtue. But though such things bring great blessing and enjoyment, they are not the bond of marriage. If every appealing characteristic and every virtue of his wife disappears, a husband is still under just as great an obligation to love her. And I think that's how we have to think about this biblical command to love our wives. It's an unwavering love. And of course, we know, as we're going to see in a moment, it's built on the character of God, which is why it is that way. <clears throat> What's interesting here is that the command that he gives to wives in the previous verse to submit to husbands, that would have been very normal in the culture. Everyone would have understood that and thought of that as, yeah, that's right. This idea of husbands love your wives unconditionally, not so much. This would not have been the cultural understanding. Douglas Moo says this, he says, requiring wives to submit to husbands, uh, as we've noted, matches widespread Greek and Jewish teaching about marriage. Requiring husbands to love their wives does not. And so Paul is going against the grain, and he's saying, look, if you want to be a biblical Christ-like husband, men, yes, she's to submit to you, but it's to be in the context of love, genuine, unconditional, everyday love. That is to be our role and responsibility as husbands. By our love, we are to make it easy and enjoyable for our wives to, to submit to us and to respect us. Again, they're called to do that regardless of how well we're doing in our role. But the idea is that our leadership, and we do have real leadership, but it's to be characterized, defined by this biblical love. And in that environment, it, while not easy still, it's much easier for a wife to respect a husband and to submit to him. That's our role. Let's think about that. How does our love for our wives help them or our lack of love, make it hard for them to submit to us and to show respect to us. If you have trouble, just think about your boss. Mm -hmm. and <clears throat> in fact, it kind of provokes 
uh, it kind of brings up within you. Like if your boss is real heavy handed, or they just you Fires. you have a you have a good idea and you bring it up, or you think it's a good idea, you bring it up and they're like, Pfft. I mean, it just kind of mm, it kind of brings this this sense of defiance, right? What about the other? If you've hopefully you've had some good bosses too. What 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 is it like when you're under someone's authority, but they actually seem to genuinely care for you and listen to you? They may not take all your ideas, but they listen and care. What how does that? What kind of environment does that provoke? Yeah, it's there. It, it provokes that deeper relationship and a sense of respect, so that when they when they do maybe disagree with you, if they have a pattern of though caring about you and listening to you, you receive that in a whole different way than someone that just seems to be set against you or selfish or self focused. It bring that over into marriage. It's the same thing. But our wives. I mean, it's it's a really difficult role when you think about it. Submitting to a husband, showing respect to a husband, especially if. They feel that their ideas are never cared for or thought about, that, that it's everything is geared towards building the family life around the husband and what he wants and when he wants it and his preferences and his desires. Whew, that's, a, that's a hard task. And so if we are intentionally showing this kind of love, uh, it creates an environment where it is not perhaps easy because we're all sinners, but easier, more natural for our wives to respond to us in this way. <clears throat> now, the word agape, or in this case, it's a verb, agapao, uh, is is the word here. And as I said before, we have to be careful um, not to just immediately read into the word itself something. It's the context that determines the use of the word. But as I said, it's also the word that's used in Ephesians, which is where I want us to turn our attention now, um, because Ephesians does shed light on... This word, obviously in Colossians, it's pretty brief. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Ephesians fleshes that out more fully. In Ephesians 5.22, he begins by giving the wife her role. But I want to move down to verse 25, where he begins to speak to husbands. And we're going to do what we have done with Colossians and work our way through this and just discuss and apply it. But Ephesians 5.25, I'll start there and read through the end of the chapter. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband." Now let's start here, uh, back in verse 25. We have the same command, husbands, love your wives. But in this case, it's modified, explained, by this idea of just as. Just as Christ loved the church. What he's going to give us here are two overarching descriptions of the husband's love. We're going to dissect each of these. The first one is 
to love our wives as Christ loves the church. This is no surprise. This is something, if you've been a Christian for any time at all, hopefully this is not new to you at all. But I do think we can uh, never get past needing to reapply this to our heart on a daily basis. And so when we talk about the love of Christ for His church, obviously there's a very specific instance uh, in the life of Christ in which His love is highlighted. Just as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself up for her. A reference, of course, to His sacrificial death on the cross. And so even in this love of Christ, he breaks this down into a couple of different aspects. The first is a sacrificial love. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's interesting is this is also the the kind of love that is talked about in Ephesians chapter 1. What we see in Ephesians chapter 1 is that the motivations for, for God's love of His people, of His bride, is not something within them, right? The motivation for which God chose to save His bride was not provoked uh, by anything but His own character and His own nature. We see this in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intention of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Notice that. In love, He predestined us to adoption, and what was it that, that pushed him towards this? According to what? His kind his, the kind intention of his will. It doesn't say, in love he predestined us because he saw us and we were just so wonderful he had to have us, right? Not at all. It was motivated by his own character. And so when we think of it that way, it, that it was not only sacrificial, but it was sacrificial because of a choice made based on his own character. Now we begin to see something about our love for our wives. He chose to set his love on us. That's the way we think of it. Before the foundation of the world, and with full knowledge of what we would actually be, he set his love on us. Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's talk about this idea of sacrificial love for a moment. Intentional, sacrificial love that's a choice. How does that affect the way we think about loving our wives? The sacrificial aspect. You gotta make up your mind. We're not to be <clears throat> wondering if we love our wives. We make up our mind. Mm -hmm. Right. Hmm. And in our case, it's uh, we don't have this immutable character that is always good, like God has. So it's not necessarily the kind intention of our will. But what is it that motivates our love? Of others. His love towards us. Yeah. We love because he first loved us, right? So it, it is this perfect love of God that is to be what motivates our love, our sacrificial love of our wives. As you think about sacrificial love and thinking about your own marriage, I mean, what, is that, what does that look like to sacrificially love our wives? Giving up my first choice on what we need to do. Yeah. Lay, laying down our preferences. 
for her for her benefit. And it, 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 it operates off the presumption that you actually know what your wife's preferences are. Hmm. How would one? How could we know? How would we know that? There are lots of quizzes online. You know, it's as easy as asking. Yeah, asking. Which is a humble thing to do because you're like, oh, I probably should know. Well, this should think, and I should know. If I don't, I'm in trouble. It's like, that's all ego, right? But it's in, in sin and pride. You can ask. You can also study. That was been an encouragement to me. It's like, just watch, observe, and listen. Mm, yeah. A lot of times she's already told you her preference many times. <laughs> it just, you didn't like it, so you just, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't know what her preference could possibly be. <laughs> if you think about it, yeah, yeah, if you think about it, you probably know what her preference is on a given <laughs> issue. It was them in an understanding way, so we would know. Yeah. we got to be learning who they are. Yeah, that this, this starts to get kind of boots on the ground real when we think about sacrificial love. It means I've got to know if I'm going to lay down, I've got to know her. It means I've got to have a relationship where we're communicating, where I care, where I'm thinking, where I'm thoughtful. Um, sometimes something that I, I like to do, and this, this is not obviously a command of Scripture, it's just how I apply this in my own life, and it may be helpful to you, is I, I, I process things best alone. So I'll go to a, a coffee shop or something like that and just with the sole intent of thinking through my roles as a husband, as a father, and how am I doing? And I just kind of walk through and begin to think about what what has my wife communicated lately that would really matter to her that would be, and I start to think through those things and how I could better meet them. And so sometimes it just, for me, that's practically how this works out. Whatever it is for you, just taking time to be intentional, uh, to even know how can I be sacrificial? Uh, it, it, it matters. In the busyness of life, it, it, this, it doesn't go well on the fly, right? Um, and so taking time to think about sacrificial love. But what's also important to understand as we get deeper into this text is when we think about Christ's sacrificial love, while, while there is certainly an application of laying down our preferences in general, and we get that from other places like Philippians and others, Christ laying down his himself had a very narrow focus, right? And that was our redemption, ultimately our holiness, that he would be able to present us as holy. We look back at the text in Ephesians 5, 25, verse verse 25 says that he loved us, but verse 26 says, so that, right? Why did he lay, why did he give himself up? What What was the goal he was trying to accomplish? So that he might sanctify having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Now we're talking about another aspect of love. Not only is it to be sacrificial, but it's to be sacrificial with one primary goal in mind, and that is her sanctification. It's a sanctifying love. So that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, that He might present to Himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So... Christ, when he, say, when he lays down his life for his bride, it is because that's for her ultimate spiritual good. That is a requirement for her ultimately to be with him because through that, he can sanctify her and make her actually holy. Christ didn't die for us just to be able to forgive us of sin, but that we might be forgiven and then made righteous and holy, that we might be with him forever. Now, this starts to define a little bit more clearly for us when we talk about laying down our preferences, loving our wives sacrificially, what all of that is, is, is funneling towards. It's not just her personal happiness. 
Uh, we, I think that's included. We want our wife to enjoy life and be happy, but it's more than that. It has a focus to it. And that is ultimately, we, we are leading our wives in love toward something. And that is Christ-likeness, holiness, sanctification. Our love and sacrifice for our wives is to have her sanctification as its highest aim. So let's talk about that for a minute. What, what, how does that affect the way we think about selflessly loving our wives sacrificially if the, the main goal and purpose of that is her sanctification? Yeah. We involve ourselves with. Absolutely. It also made me think of the. That's one thing to set my preferences aside when I enjoy the outcome or the conversation in doing that. It's another thing to realize that if my preference of, hey, I don't want to have a discussion that would end up in, let's go, a more serious discussion, let's go to the word, let's make sure we're right, and where she might need to be corrected or. Both of it, you know, as we look at it and grow, those are harder conversations. So mm-hmm. I just need to equally love those two. Yeah. That's good. What else? <clears throat> Don't be shy. Your question again? I think <laughs> as you, as you, as I know you, it's 6.30 in the morning. <clears throat> as you but. try to, or as you're, you know, showing her to be more Christ-like, it's, it's only going to help you to be more Christ-like. So it's, it's going to push both of you towards that goal. Mm-hmm. It's a win-win. Yeah, there you go. I think it, it, it does several things. One, going back to the idea of laying down our preferences, it does kind of put boundaries on that idea of, we don't just, it does, laying down our preferences for, for selflessly for the sake of our wives doesn't mean that we just do whatever she wants, mm-hmm. Right. It's within the confines of whatever is best for the family to push us towards Christ's likeness, right? So if there was something that our wife desired that that deterred ultimately from that end goal of sanctification, then that's where our leadership kicks in of lovingly, kindly, but directing the back to say, oh, we, we can't do that because it would detract from that. So our, our leadership and even laying down our preferences is within the confines of the ultimate goal is her sanctification. Um, but here's the problem. Do we have any power to actually sanctify our wives? Nope. Zero. I can't even sanctify myself, right? Mm-hmm. I, the, the God has to do that work. Now, it is true that we are to be active in that and giving our best effort towards sanctification, but at the end of the day, if fruit's produced, it's got to be God doing that. And so as we think about if, if, if we're to emulate Christ and, and our wife's sanctification is the highest aim of our love, we have an issue because we can't produce that within her. But what can we do? Let's go back. What, what is in Scripture, it's even here in this text, what is the primary means that the Spirit uses to sanctify His people. His Word. Right? And He says that here. That's what He's doing. He says, So that He might sanctify her, verse 26, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word. Right? That's what Jesus is doing through the Holy Spirit. Is He is washing His people with the Word. Day in, day out. As you read the Word, as you apply the Word, as you meditate on the Word, He is sanctifying you through the work of the Word. So, how does that then intersect our... What can we do as husbands in that process of our wives being sanctified? 
Prayer. Yeah. Scripture reading. Yeah. Using the word to enhance the marriage. If if that is the primary tool, then we ought to be a in recognition that God is the one doing the work. We pray for her, and then we bring the word to bear in our relationship. Right. Also, our leadership. It ought to be really clear to our wives that our leadership is not based upon our own innate knowledge or experience or whatever as a man. It's based upon our knowledge of the truth. But the Bible says this. So that's what our, our, our household's going to do. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to know the word. That also brings a lot of confidence to a Christian wife, of course, that, okay, I can trust, I can get behind this leadership because it's not just willy-nilly or based upon his own knowledge that he has or his own thoughts. My husband is showing me that his leadership of a family is through the, the Scriptures. Um, so just talk about practically in your relationship, you're talking with your wife, issues come up, something she's struggling with, whatever. What, is it, what does it look like to use the Word of God as a tool in our relationship to promote sanctification? What, what, might, what are some examples of how that might look on a daily basis? <clears throat> Actually turning to the Scripture and, and setting that as your standard and not some other thing. We had a little thing that came up recently about head coverings, so knowing that, like, okay, let's look at what the scripture says about head coverings instead of, well, our church, the women don't wear head coverings, this church, women wear head coverings, yeah. making it just a, you know, just some opinion. Right. Of but actually turning, actually turning to the scriptures always as mm-hmm. our standard. Yeah. <clears throat> Physically <clears throat> open the, bu- the book. Your daily devotional that you two mm-hmm. <clears throat> Yeah, that's a great yeah. idea. Yeah, we we started something a few years ago. Every Monday morning at breakfast, we review the sermons. Mm-hmm. Go over, you know, hey, let's discuss these applications. And yeah, know, that's a great idea. Helpful. Really good. Accountability, I think, is helpful too, both ways. Like with our wives, if we're not studying something together, someone mentioned devotions. That's been helpful for me, and I hope for her as well. Just speaking of what. Speaking, sharing our time in the Word with one another, I guess, or that makes sense. It's not just the, did you read it, I read it, what did you take away? Yeah, and yeah, that's those mm. Yeah, I think it's mother to make sure you give them time to be in the Word, too. Like yeah. When we get up, kids are up, it's so, it's easy for me to my, go to my office and get my reading done, but craziest of life is already started for her. Yeah, blocking it, prioritizing it, and giving her the space to do it, yeah. What else? Keep going. These are good. Prayer together has been really good for mm. me and my wife. It's new for us, and it's been so joyful to be yeah. able to do that. And, and her actually remind me, let's go pray. It's lately, mm-hmm. it's been really, really sweet. It's wonderful. <clears throat> Prayer and marriage is such a powerful thing. Not because it's this magical thing, but because uh, it's really hard to pray together if you're in an argument, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so if you're going to pray every night before you go to bed, it kind of forces and necessitates good, healthy communication to come to some kind of resolution to be able to even go before the Lord to pray. Uh, it just bond, knits you together in a, in a unique way. Why do you think we... Uh, I don't think any of these are necessarily novel ideas for most of us, but why do you think we don't do this as well as we should at times? When we don't do well at inserting the Word into our marriage, what, what's going on in our hearts often when that happens? Selfishness. Specific, what kinds of sins? Yeah. Selfishness. Pride. 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 
It's a good one. In what way does pride keep us from, at times, bringing the word to bear in the marriage? We already know the answer. It's us. It's yeah. 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 I think not wanting to submit to that same word ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Well, yep. I think we don't confess to ourselves that it's hard. Mm-hmm. And i got to face this again. And this is going to be a hard conversation. She may react. Um... She'll point out my hypocrisy. <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. if, our, if our wife is a believer and she is in the Word, that is our greatest hope, is that we can stop and know that it's, that's working in her. So when it does come the moment of, okay, we're having this conversation, I'm going to speak the truth in love about this topic as mm-hmm. the head. Yeah. Um, so that I pray she will receive it. And she may not immediately... But I'm, I'm to trust in God in the moment and not mm-hmm. her response. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where we, we come to a place and we either got to do it or we don't do it. And I find that that's conflict will, will benefit our marriage at that point. So. Yeah. It's hard to address it sometimes in the heat of the moment because uh, your attitude may be such that you might weaponize the word rather than um, really... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so then, when you take a break, calm down, get in the right mindset. Sometimes it's hard to reinstitute the conversation. Mm-hmm. Yep, you're right. That's a good point about weaponizing the scriptures. We can easily do that. I think one of the ways we help with that is remembering the the character the scripture calls us to, as well as the commands. And so that if I'm obeying the command without the character, I'm still in disobedience. And so even confessing in that moment to say, you know what, that I know this is actually true. The Word does call us to do this, but I need to apologize because I also failed to do that in love, in kindness, and graciousness. And so there's ways to apply the Word to our character as well as the decision point that we're trying to come to. Does that make sense? I think that also will help our wives to see, okay, there's a when we confess how we've even inaccurately or sinfully applied the word, it may be very true what we said, but we did it in a very ungodly way. Confessing that ungodliness is important and then helps bring the truth to bear to say, okay, but at the end of the day, we do need to submit to this, but in the way that God intends. Yeah, Jesse, how, how would you counsel a guy who says, how do I sanctify, help sanctify my wife? She's been in a stronger walk with the Lord since day one of our marriage. <clears throat> yeah. Trying to catch up. That's a good point, and, and, it, and it, that is a, a common question you know, that, that men will ask. And there's two answers. One, uh, be motivated. Get in the Word. You know, get, start, start leading. Leadership uh, is not uh, being a theologian, right? We don't have to have a Ph.D. to lead our wives, right? Leadership is a commitment to be faithful, that I, I am going to be in the Word myself, in prayer myself, and I'm going to be the one primarily, not that our wives can't ever do this, they should if they're Christians, but I'm going to be the one primarily that's saying, hey, let's pray about that. Let's, let's look at what God's Word says about it. Let's seek wise counsel on that. I, I'm going to be the one that is, so my leadership then is committing to lead and steer the family back to the truth. It doesn't necessarily mean that I, I have to, in this instance, immediately know more than my wife does. If she's been a Christian longer than me or, or just been more faithful at times than me. 
it does mean I'm committing myself to not be content with my current status of knowledge. I'm going to learn and, and pursue it. But really, leadership is that bringing the family back to the things that the Scripture says matter most. We're going to pray together. We're going to pursue the Scriptures together. Um, so that, that's how I would answer it. That you, you don't have to wait until you can quote Grudem's systematic theology verbatim to lead. Leadership is not, get up and follow me. We're going to go to the Word. If I don't know what, it's also the humility to say, I was with that pride comment. I think sometimes for some guys, and that's it, in the situation Wendell just brought up is, the pride aspect is they don't want it to be clear that they don't actually know what the Word says about that issue, so they don't want to bring it up because it's going to highlight that they don't know what the Word says. Instead, the humble response is, I know the Word is sufficient for life and godliness, so it must speak to this in some way. I don't currently know what that is, but I'm committed to go find out and then bring that to bear on the family. That should be our disposition. Um, does that help answer your question? But it, it, that is a common question. I know my own, uh, someone close to me recently got saved uh, later in life after having been an unbeliever uh, into his 60s and uh, mar- married unequally yoked for the bulk of that time. His wife got saved early on. So she's lived in this situation. She's followed the Lord for 30 years and <clears throat> he's just now come to know Christ. And so we're talking about this idea of leadership and he's like, I feel totally inadequate. And well, the truth is we're all inadequate, you know, no matter how long we've been a Christian. And so we just talked about, you can be the one that says, hey, we're going to read together. We're going to pray together. We're going to consult the scriptures. And you can still lead your wife, even though she, at this moment, has more knowledge than you do of the scriptures. <clears throat> so I, th- I think keeping that in mind, that I-, I-, I bring that up because we can talk a lot about laying down our preferences and things like that. And, and we can do a lot of that laying down our preferences just to kind of pacify our wives or give them what they want. But without this overarching goal of bringing sanctification into her life and into mine. And that's a different goal, right? Um, I, I do think it, it applies to things like, where do you want to go to eat? I want to go where you want to go. Or what do you want to watch on TV? Let's watch what you want. It, it does apply to those things. But... The overarching goal in our life is that she would be more like Christ. When we come to our dying day, we want to be able to say that my wife is more like Christ because she was married to me than she would have been if she wasn't, not the other way around, right? That I was, by God's grace, a tool towards her sanctification, not a detraction from it. So let me just ask, these are not not for discussion. These are for heart application questions, but... For example, when's the last time your wife caught you reading the Bible? When's the last time she walked in on you praying? You know, when's the last time you suggested to her or the family to stop and pray about a matter or discussed a topic of Scripture uh, that was not provoked by them but that you took the initiative towards? When's the last time y'all had an issue to discuss or a situation in your marriage, and you said, you know what, let's, let's look together at what the Scripture says about that issue. Is it Really what we're asking is, is your wife and your marriage, is, her, is she spiritually growing in Christ because of the influence you have in her life? Or is it either neutral or negatively uh, drawing her away from those things? If, if, if Jesus died so that our 
that his bride would be conformed to his holiness, then, then we need to take this seriously, that this is, if we're imitating his love, sacrificial, sanctifying love, then this has to be our goal as well. <clears throat> this is really what loving leadership boils down to. It is faithfulness in pursuing the Lord ourselves and then lovingly encouraging that within our wives and children <clears throat> in their lives. Uh, it's, it's really not brain surgery. So let's talk just a moment about this because I, I think sometimes we boil our spiritual leadership in the home down to having family devotions. I'm like, well, we'll have a family devotion and then check, I'm leading my family spiritually. And, and I think family devotions are a tool. Some of you even brought up how that works in your home, but they're a wonderful tool, I'm not knocking them. I think we should be in the Word with our wife and our kids. Absolutely, we should be talking about those things. But if we then go on after that 15-minute discussion and undercut all the things that we just said by our lack of following Christ in our character, then we've just done a lot of damage, right? We've just told our wife and kids, this is the standard. Not that we'll ever hit it perfectly. I don't mean that. But if we just sort of disregard it and then live hypocritically, um, we put this dichotomy before our family of you say this and you do this. And so our spiritual leadership requires an actual pursuit of Christ, right? And not just checking a box of I'm going to have this conversation because I'm supposed to, but that they see a humility, repentant lifestyle, right? You're going to fail, but how do you respond when you fail? Is there a humility? Is there a confession of sin? Is there a commitment to get back on the horse and run hard for the Lord? Um, so think holistically about your life and it will include these moments of discussing the sermon at the, at the breakfast table or sitting down with the kids and reading through Proverbs or whatever it may be. But it goes beyond that <clears throat> into the sacrificial love we have for our, our wives throughout the day. Now, there's one other aspect he mentions here. We're nearing the end of our time, so I'm just going to introduce this. But the second description he gives here is to love our wives as we love ourselves, verses 28 to 30. Go back to verse 28. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we're members of his body. Um, I'm just going to introduce this, and I'm going to leave it with you your assignment will be to really take this whole passage of Ephesians 5, 25 through 33 and think on it and apply it. But in getting ready for our next time, think about this concept of loving our wives in the way we love ourselves. And what that means is it's, it's the same. It's really the second greatest commandment in the law, right? First greatest commandment, love the Lord. Second greatest commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. That's built on this fact that we, we love ourselves Naturally. And if you don't believe that, then you're not on Facebook, right? <laughs> um, so we, 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 we love ourselves. and We, 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 we feed ourselves. We give, we give ourselves what we want. And, and if, if you are not feeding yourself, it's because what you want is to look a certain way. But it's still loving yourself, right? Um, and, and so he's, he's saying, in the same way that you naturally love yourselves, love and cherish your wife intentionally in the same ways. Uh, he goes through examples of that. We'll get into those examples next time. But I want you to think on those concepts of loving my wife sacrificially, 
loving her as I naturally love myself, what would that look like in my marriage and how should I apply that? So what I want to do is take a moment. Um, it's 7 o'clock, so I know if some of you guys may have to get to work right away. If you need to slip out, that's totally fine. But I'd like to take a moment to close our time and just have you either pair up or get in twos or threes and just pray for each other. Let's pray for each other in these things to lead our wives in love in these areas. Uh, like I said, I'm not sure any of this necessarily was new, but it certainly is needed for each of us to just be reminded and to hold each other accountable because we're sinners and these things are, are hard. But in the Lord, they are possible for us to grow in these things. So break up, take some time. We'll hang around and talk afterwards. And uh, when, you need to, when you need to slip out, feel free to do that.